The Mystical City of God, The Incarnation, Book 4, Chapter 16. The Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda, describes how the three kings of the Orient come to adore the Word made man in Bethlehem. 552. The three Magi kings, who came to find the divine infant after his birth, were natives of Persia, Arabia and Saba, Psalm 71:10, which were countries to the east of Palestine. Their coming was prophesied especially by David, and before him by Balaam, who having been hired by Balak, king of the Moabites to curse the Israelites blessed them instead, Numbers 24:17. In this blessing Balaam said, that he would see the King Christ, although not at once, and that he would behold him, although not present, for he did not see him with his own eyes, but through the Magi, his descendants many centuries after. He also said that a star would arise unto Jacob, which was Christ, who arose to reign forever in the house of Jacob, Luke 1 553. These three kings were well versed in the natural sciences, and well read in the scriptures of the people of God, and on account of their learning they were called Magi. By their knowledge of scripture, and by conferring with some of the Jews, they were imbued with a belief in the coming of the Messiah expected by that people. Moreover, they were upright men, truthful and very just in the government of their countries. Since their dominions were not so extended as those of our times, they governed them easily, and personally administered justice as wise and prudent sovereigns. This is the true office of kings, and therefore the Holy Ghost says, that he holds their hearts in his hands in order to direct them like irrigated waters to the fulfillment of his holy will, Proverbs 21.1. They were also of noble and magnanimous disposition, free from avarice and covetousness, which so oppresses, degrades and belittles the spirits of princes. Because these magi governed adjoining countries and lived not far from each other, they were mutual friends and shared with each other the virtues and the knowledge which they had acquired, consulting each other in the more important events of their reigns. In all things they communicated with each other as most faithful friends. 554. I have already mentioned in the eleventh chapter, that in the same night in which the incarnate word was born, they were informed of his birth by the ministry of the holy angels. It happened in the following manner. One of the guardian angels of our queen, of a higher order than that of the guardian angels of the three kings, was sent from the cave of the nativity. By his superior faculties he enlightened the three guardian angels of the kings informing them at the same time of the will and command of the Lord, that each of them should manifest to his charge the mystery of the Incarnation and of the birth of Christ our Redeemer. Immediately and in the same hour each of the three angels spoke in dreams to the wise man under his care. This is the usual course of angelic revelations when the Lord communicates with souls through the angels. This enlightenment of the kings concerning the mysteries of the Incarnation was very copious and clear. They were informed that the King of the Jews was born as true God and man, that he was the Messiah and Savior who was expected, that it was the one who was promised in the scriptures and prophecies, Genesis 3.10, and that they themselves, the three kings, were singled out by the Lord to seek the star which Balaam had foretold. 
Each one of the three kings also was made aware that the same revelation was being made to the other two in the same way, and that it was not a favor or miracle which should remain unused, but that they were expected to cooperate with the divine light and execute what it pointed out. They were inspired and inflamed with a great love and with a desire to know the God-made man, to adore him as their creator and redeemer and serve him with most perfect devotion. In all this they were greatly assisted by their distinguished moral virtues which they had acquired, for on account of them they were excellently disposed for the operation of the divine enlightenment. 555. After receiving these heavenly revelations in their sleep, the three kings awoke at the same hour of the night, and prostrating themselves on the ground and humiliating themselves to the dust, they adored in spirit the immutable being of God. They exalted his infinite mercy and goodness for having sent the divine word to assume flesh of a virgin, Isaiah 7:14, in order to redeem the world and give eternal salvation to men. Then all three of them, governed by an impulse of the same spirit, resolved to depart without delay for Judea in search of the divine child in order to adore him. The three kings prepared gifts of gold, incense and myrrh in equal quantities, being guided by the same mysterious impulse, and without having conferred with each other concerning their undertaking, the three of them arrived at the same resolve and the same plan of executing it. In order to set out immediately, on the same day they procured the necessary camels and provisions together with a number of servants for the journey. Without heeding the commotion caused among their people, or considering that they were to travel in foreign regions, or caring for any outward show of authority, without ascertaining particulars of the place where they were to go, or gathering information for identifying the child, they at once resolved with fervent zeal and ardent love, to depart in order to seek the newborn king. 556. At the same time the holy angel, who had brought the news from Bethlehem to the kings, formed of the material air, a most resplendent star, although not so large as those of the firmament, for it was not to ascend higher than was necessary for the purpose of its formation. It took its course through the atmospheric regions in order to guide and direct the holy kings to the cave, where the child awaited them. Its splendor was of a different kind from that of the sun and the other stars, with its most beautiful light, it illuminated the night like a brilliant torch, and it mingled its own most active brilliancy with that of the sun by day. On coming out of their palaces each one of the kings saw this new star, Matthew 2-2, although each from a different standpoint, because it was only one star and it was placed in such distance, and height that it could be seen by each one at the same time. As the three of them follow the guidance of this miraculous star, they soon met. Thereupon it immediately approached them much more closely, descending through many shifts of the aerial space and rejoicing them by shedding its refulgence over them at closer range. They began to confer among themselves about the revelation they had received and about their plans, finding that they were identical. They were more and more inflamed with devotion and with the pious desire of adoring the newborn God, and broke out in praise and admiration at the inscrutable works and mysteries of the Almighty. 557. The Magi pursued their journey under the guidance of the star without losing sight of it until they arrived at Jerusalem. As well on this account, 
and also because this city was the capital and metropolis of the Jews, they suspected that this was the birthplace of their legitimate and true king. They entered into the city and openly inquired after him saying, Matthew 2 8, Where is the king of the Jews, who is born? For we have seen his star in the east, announcing to us his birth and we have come to see him and adore him. Their inquiry came to the ears of Herod, who at that time unjustly reigned in Judea and lived in Jerusalem. The wicked king, panic-stricken at the thought that a more legitimate claimant to the throne should have been born, felt much disturbed and outraged by this report. With him the whole city was aroused, some of the people, out of flattery to the king, others on account of the fear of disturbance. Immediately, as St. Matthew relates, Herod called together a meeting of the principal priests and scribes in order to ask them where Christ was to be born according to the prophecies and holy scriptures. They answered that according to the words of one of the prophets Micah, Micah 5 2, that he was to be born in Bethlehem, since it was written by him that that was where the ruler of Israel was to arise. 558. Thus informed of the birthplace of the new king of Israel, and insidiously plotting from that very moment to destroy him, Herod dismissed the priests. Then he secretly called the Magi in order to learn from them at what time they had seen the star as harbinger of his birth, Matthew 2 7. They ingenuously informed him and he sent them away to Bethlehem, saying to them in covert malice, Go and inquire after the infant and when you have found him announce it to me, in order that I too may go to recognize and adore him. The Magi departed, leaving the hypocritical king ill at ease and in great consternation at such indisputable signs of the coming of the legitimate king of Israel into the world. Although he could have eased his mind in regard to his sovereignty by the thought that a recently born infant could not be enthroned so very soon, yet human prosperity is so unstable and deceitful that it can be overthrown even by an infant, or by the mere threat of far-off danger. Thus even an imagined uncertainty can destroy all the enjoyment and happiness so deceitfully offered to its possessors. 559 on leaving Jerusalem the Magi again found the star, which at their entrance they had lost from view. By its light they were conducted to Bethlehem to the cave of the Nativity. Diminishing in size it hovered over the head of the infant Jesus and bathed him in its light, whereupon the matter of which it had been composed dissolved and disappeared. Our great queen had already been prepared by the Lord for the coming of the kings, and when she understood that they were approaching the cave, she requested St. Joseph not to leave it, but to stay at her side. This he did, although the sacred text does not mention it. Like many other things passed over in the Gospels, this was not necessary for establishing the truth of the mystery. Nevertheless it is certain that St. Joseph was present when the kings adored the infant Jesus. The precaution of sending him away was not necessary, for the Magi had already been instructed that the mother of the newborn was a virgin, and that he was the true God and not a son of Saint Joseph. Nor would God have permitted them to be led to the cave ignorant of such an important circumstance as his origin, allowing them to adore the child as the son of Joseph and of a mother not a virgin. They were fully instructed as to all these things, and they were deeply impressed by the sacramental character of all these exalted and complicated mysteries. 
560. The Heavenly Mother awaited the pious and devout kings, standing with the child in her arms. Amid the humble and poor surroundings of the cave, in incomparable modesty and beauty, she exhibited at the same time a majesty more than human, the light of heaven shining in her countenance. Still more visible was this light in the child, shedding through the cavern a fulgent splendor, which made it like a heaven. The three kings of the east entered and at the first sight of the son and mother, they were overwhelmed with wonder for a considerable space of time. They prostrated themselves upon the earth, and in this position they worshipped and adored the infant, acknowledging him as the true God and man, and as the savior of the human race. By the divine power which the sight of him and his presence exerted in their souls, they were filled with new enlightenment. They perceived the multitude of angelic spirits, who as servants and ministers of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords attended upon him in reverential fear, Hebrews 1-4. Arising, they congratulated there in our Queen, as Mother of the Son of the Eternal Father, and they approached to reverence her on their knees. They sought her hand in order to kiss it, as they were accustomed to do to their queens in their countries. But the most prudent lady withdrew her hand, and offered instead that of the Redeemer of the world, saying, My spirit rejoices in the Lord and my soul blesses and extols him, because among all the nations he has called and selected you to look upon and behold that which many kings and prophets have in vain desired to see, namely, him who is the eternal word incarnate, Luke 10:24. Let us extol and praise his name on account of the sacraments and mysteries wrought among his people, let us kiss the earth which he sanctifies by his real presence. 561. At these words of Most Holy Mary, the three kings humiliated themselves anew, adoring the infant Jesus, they acknowledged the great blessings of living in the time when the Son of Justice was arising in order to illuminate the darkness, Malachi 4-2. Thereupon they spoke to St. Joseph, congratulating him and extolling his good fortune in being chosen as the spouse of the Mother of God, and they expressed wonder and compassion at the great poverty, beneath which were hidden the greatest mysteries of heaven and earth. In this intercourse they consumed three hours, and then the kings asked permission of Most Holy Mary to go to the city in order to seek lodging, as they could find no room for themselves in the cave. Some people had accompanied them, but the Magi alone participated in the light and the grace of this visit. The others took notice merely of what passed exteriorly, and witnessed only the destitute and neglected condition of the mother and her husband. Though wondering at the strange event, they perceived nothing of its mystery. The Magi took leave and departed, while Most Holy Mary and Joseph, being again alone with their child, glorified His Majesty with new songs of praise, because His name was beginning to be known and adored among the Gentiles, Psalm 85-9. What else the three wise men did will be related in the following chapter. The Instruction Which the Queen of Heaven Gave Me 562 my daughter, the events recorded in this chapter contain much for the instruction for kings and princes and for the other faithful, for instance, the prompt obedience and humility of the Magi, which men should imitate, and the obdurate wickedness of Herod, which they are to fear and abhor, 
for each reaped the fruit of his actions. The kings reaped the fruit of justice and other virtues, which they practiced, while Herod reaped those of ambition and pride by which he had usurped the government, and of other vices into which he cast himself without restriction or moderation. But let this remark, together with the other teachings of the Holy Church, suffice for those that live in the world. To yourself must you apply the doctrine contained in what you have written, always remembering that all the perfection of a Christian life must be founded upon the Catholic truths, and in the constant and firm acknowledgement of them, as they are taught by holy faith. In order to impress them upon your heart, you must profit of all that you read or hear of the divine writings, and of what is contained in the other devout and instructive books concerning the virtues. Your faith you must accompany by the practice and abundance of all good works, hoping ever in the visitation and coming of the Most High, Titus 2.13. 563. By such a disposition your soul will be prepared in the manner I require of you. For I desire that the Almighty find in you the sweet readiness to adopt whatever is manifested to you, and to put in practice whatever may be enjoined without any human respect. I promise, that if you follow my counsel as you should, I will be your star and guide on the ways of the Lord so that you will quickly arrive at the vision and enjoyment of your God and of your highest good in Sion, Psalm 83.8. In this doctrine, and in what happened to the devout kings of the Orient, there is contained a most effective means for the salvation of souls, yet this is known to few and heeded by a still smaller number of men. It is this that the inspirations and enlightenments are usually sent by God to creatures in a certain order. At first some are sent to incite the soul to practice some of the virtues, if the soul corresponds, the Most High sends other and greater ones in order to move the soul to greater perfection in virtue, and thus, profiting from previous graces, the soul is disposed for still others, receiving ever greater helps and securing an increase of the favors of the Lord according as it corresponds to them. You will therefore understand two things, first, how great a damage it is to neglect the exercise of any virtue and not to practice perfection according to the dictates of the divine inspirations. Secondly, how often God would give great assistance to the souls, if they would begin to correspond to the smaller ones, since he is, as it were, in expectation and hope that they will prepare for his greater ones, Revelation 6.20. For he wishes to deal with the soul according to his just judgments. But because they overlook this orderly manner of proceeding in his invitations, he suspends the flow of his divine gifts and he refuses to the souls what was intended for them if they had not placed an obstacle, allowing them to fall from one abyss to the other. Psalm 41 8. 564. The Magi and Herod pursued opposite courses, the Magi met the first inspirations and graces by the practice of the good works, thus they disposed themselves by many virtues for being called and drawn by divine revelation to the knowledge of the mysteries of the Incarnation, 
the birth of the divine word and the redemption of the human race, and through this to the happiness and perfection of the way of life. But Herod on the other hand, by his hard-heartedness and neglect of the helps which God offered him for the practice of virtue, was drawn into the abyss of his measureless pride and ambition. These vices hurled him into such vast precipices of cruelty as to be the first one among men to seek the life of the Redeemer of the world, under the cloak of simulated devotion and piety. In giving vent to his furious rage, he took away the life of the innocent children and attempted by so foul a measure to advance his damned and perverse undertaking.